Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes. We're broadcast on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com. And we are podcast wherever you find your podcasts. You can check us out at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. We're brought to you by the Capital Center for the Arts at ccanh.org. The summer season is in full swing, and we're looking forward to getting back into the fabulous theater for more shows soon. Pay attention to the website for updates and come on out to some of the great summer shows. I'm very pleased to welcome back to Capital Close-Up, Chairman Ray Buckley. Ray Buckley is the chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party. He's had a long, distinguished career in politics and is perhaps the most influential Democrat in New Hampshire Democratic history. How's that for an effusive welcome, Chairman? Yeah, if only that were true. <laughs> uh, you know, I always, I always, I always like to make sure that our guests feel welcome and overcome <laughs> with emotion at whatever it is I say about them. But it's really true. Your your tenure as chairman has been remarkable. The New Hampshire Democratic Party has continued with mostly successful endeavors uh, during your tenure. And because it's New Hampshire, things swing back and forth, as we saw in 2020 and around the country in down ballot races. And uh, elections have consequences. And we have suffered through some pretty remarkable uh, times now. Um, I, I think before we get into any specifics, I, I'm, I'm curious about your take on what I perceive as a real change in the tone of New Hampshire politics uh, that seems to have gripped our legislative session and our legislature after the 2020 election. I, I had always seen New Hampshire as, as contentious and energetic. And, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was it, politics in New Hampshire has always been the state sport. And, and there were lots and lots of policy disagreements. But it seems to me that 2020 has really seen a change in the tone, in the way uh, the Republicans who've taken over the legislature have acted. What's, what's, your, what's your sense? I think part of it is the fact that uh, New Hampshire truly is a purple state that's teetering. Um, any election could be that uh, uh, that point that, that turns the state uh, into a, a blue state, uh, could be uh, a year away, could be 10 years away. Um, that's uh, that's the, the challenge of being in a purple state. You're just never show when, sure when it's gonna actually uh, finally tip uh, one way or the other. Uh, you know, having served in the legislature for, for nine terms, um, what, during my entire tenure, it was Republican majority, uh, and there was a consistency, uh, and people uh, knew uh, who was going to be speaker the next term, who the chair of uh, the committees were going to be next term, who the ranking members were going to be. There, there was a continuity and a consistency. Uh, out of the last five elections, uh, the, uh, par the majority parties have flipped four times, four out of the last five. 
Right. Now, think of the fact that prior to 2006, we only had the Democratic majority one time, 1874, prior to the, uh, since the, the Civil War. And the fact that we've had it four times just in these recent years really shows um, how close New Hampshire is. And in fact, uh, what is just real troublesome is that we would have retained our majorities in the Senate and the House for a collective 2,200 votes. Uh, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty small. 800 uh, in the, it cost us 14 seats in the House. Uh, and uh, about 1,400 cost us the three seats in the Senate. Um, we know where they are. Uh, we know uh, those districts. We have, uh, have significant plans to adjust how we do that. Clearly, COVID had a serious impact. Um, we did focus groups. We did polling. Uh, we did a 1,000-person interview process where we asked people for, for their input. Uh, and um, we are prepared for 2022. And um, I think that uh, the adjustments that we've made, the changes that we've made um, should uh, work very well uh, for us in, in 22. You know, your historic, your historic perspective is really interesting to me because I, I you know, I, I was elected to the U.S. Congress in 2006 after an unsuccessful run in 2004, reelected in 2008. And um, uh, my memory, like like everybody else's, sometimes can be short. So as you say, um, since 2006, uh, there has been a decided change historically in the majorities in New Hampshire as things have flipped back and forth after what seemed an eternity. Um, it was kind of like New Hampshire was the Red Sox of politics. Um, an eternity of Republican domination has now really has really changed. And if you look at the historic trend, um, there is a decided difference and swing. Um, what about what about the tone of the the? Do you think that the tone? Oh, um, I, you were. I apologize. You asked that question, and I started going off on uh, on that's, uh, that's losing okay. the majority. So the the reality is is that when you have that sort of consistency, as I talked to about earlier, uh, there's a calmness, uh, and there are uh, legislators that are able to plan out. Uh, and what has happened, because there's been such a huge shift uh, in and out, that we've lost a lot of um, long, uh, people with long tenure uh, and experience with respect for the institution. Uh, longer, you know, gone are the days uh, where you had true um, moderates running the Republican Party in the House. Uh, you know, I, I would start working there back in the late 70s, was first elected in, in uh, 86. And uh, boy, uh, both parties were sticklers for decorum, uh, for respect for each other. I can remember being uh, called into my committee chair my first term because I was shaking my head in agreement when somebody was testifying. And they said, that's inappropriate no matter how much you you know you want to be supportive of the person testifying in your position you are a judge you're judging these issues 
And now you see them fighting with each other. You see uh, members of the House, you know, literally screaming at people that are testifying. Uh, it, the behavior is completely uh, out of control. I think it's very hard uh, to settle. And let me tell you, I got to believe that gerrymandering in New Hampshire has had an impact, just as it has in Washington, where you've got these districts that are, are you know, safe. They're roughly uh, about 100. 40 uh, safe Republican seats, about 120 safe Democratic seats, and all the rest are those flip seats. Um, and so uh, you've got those people, you know, in those, in those safe seats that have to worry about the primary. Uh, and so that they uh, focus on issues that aren't necessarily bread and butter issues or kitchen table issues, if you will. Um, and when you get uh, people that uh, aren't able to make a priority list, not able, you know, I, I try to talk to legislators about um, the movement for the LGBTQ community here in New Hampshire when you know, a group of us met in 1985 to establish a strategy. It was a long game. Uh, we didn't we didn't put in uh, marriage equality and and uh, you know gay rights and we we each session did something you know the uh, adoption rights and foster care and HIV protections and it it was done deliberately and we get at the end where we have nearly every single possible protection uh, passed in New Hampshire without it being. Um, uh, I, I think as histronic as so many of the issues have become uh, of late, where people want immediate, whether it's the left or the right, uh, they, they want immediate 100%. Uh, and that's why you're getting uh, these crazy gun bills uh, that essentially in New Hampshire at this point, because of Chris Sununu signing these bills, um, you can pretty much carry a gun without a permit anywhere you want to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, the stand your ground and all of that really um, troubling issues, which have no connection to the vast majority of the people in New Hampshire, where over 90% support, you know, uh, gun safety laws and, and regulations. But because that hard right's got such a control now over the Republican Party in the legislature uh, and structurally, um, you know, despite the fact that, you um, Marriage equality is, I think, something like 70% here in New Hampshire. Uh, the Republican Party uh, platform still is 100% uh, anti-LGBTQ uh, and 100% uh, anti-choice, uh, on and on and on. Uh, I mean, they, their uh, agenda, their platform would, would be uh, much more familiar in Idaho or Wyoming or Alabama. You know, it strikes me that this may reflect uh, the nationalization of the radical right uh, or, or the nationalization of the radical rights effort. Uh, the Republicans are, are, I think, quite adept at taking a national agenda, um, which has been of which Trump and the and the guys in Washington and the folks in Washington are symptoms of this radical right wing agenda and making sure that they are pushing it into the state legislatures across the country. I mean, that's one of the reasons we've seen all these, um, you know, uh, 250 bills in 47 states to suppress voting. Um, it's a national effort by the Republicans and New Hampshire, unfortunately, 
uh, has been not only not immune, but truly susceptible to both the tone and the substance of this agenda. It's, it's, a, it's a sweeping agenda. It, it belies the fact that we elected Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as our president and vice president, thank goodness. Um, but it's really uh, troublesome for states like New Hampshire, where we have now, it looks like we're going backwards on a lot of energy policy, backwards on guns, backwards on human rights for LGBTQ+, um, backwards on voting rights. Um, and and you know, assuming that uh, democratic uh, efforts are successful in 2022, and uh, we, we're all working hard to make sure, and I know you are working hard to make sure that, that things turn around in 2022, um, uh, we've had uh, a, a pretty devastating run already in this first legislative session. When you think about just some of the bills that, that have made it to the, to the governor's desk, in uh, a gag rule about energy where the Department of Environmental Services cannot participate in conversations about regional low carbon fuel programs. I mean, that's nuts, given that the markets have spoken and we're moving forward on renewable energy. And, and then you've got a budget that that includes uh, anti-choice, anti-abortion that Chris Sununu who speaks out of one side of his mouth saying he's pro-choice, says he's going to is, is, is signing the bill. Um, so and we and of course, he's gearing up for a Senate run. Um, so so things it's it's a really it's a really challenging landscape. Now, in the challenging landscape, however, there are bright spots. Uh, we've just had a special election in Bow. Talk to us a little bit about what happened in that special election, what you think it means. And I, I, I understand that there are some other special elections coming up. Uh, there are. Uh, I think that uh, we lucked out when we uh, were able to recruit uh, Muriel Hall, a uh, longtime uh, public school teacher in uh, the Bow uh, Dunbarton schools. Uh, so she was very well known. Uh, by the community, and she earned, uh, you know, bipartisan respect. Um, she did very well in the primary, despite not even being uh, opposed. She received more votes than, than the Republican candidates uh, combined. Uh, and then she ended up just slaughtering them, uh, not physically, obviously, but uh, it, with, uh, there was a, you know, winning by 15.7%, almost 16% of the vote. Uh, you know, that's a, this is a district where the Republicans have a 5% voter registration advantage. Uh, and for a special election to have a 36% turnout, that's unheard of. Right. Uh, and so it really shows um, her uh, connection to the community. It shows the importance of uh, making sure that you've got candidates that, that do have that sort of relationship uh, with, with people to be able to get them to turn out. It is very difficult, as, as you, you well know, uh, in a special election to get people to turn out. Uh, but if you're able to, to get uh, find a candidate that has that sort of uh, community support out there, uh, it makes it uh, a lot more successful. So I think we're going to uh, spend a lot more time uh, on recruitment. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have sort of relied on self-selection, 
uh, a lot of times, and we realize uh, that uh, there, there's an interesting pattern. Uh, when you look at 2020, do you know not a single member of the House Democratic Caucus or under the age of 40 lost, no matter what kind of district they were elected? Not a single member of color lost and not a single member of the, I believe it were up to 14 LGBTQ um, uh, caucus lost. So there's something's interesting out there that these individuals, young people, people of color, LGBT, these usually would be considered disenfranchised and, and not the strongest candidates, but clearly uh, they've got some connection to their community. Uh, and, it, and this goes from being in the cities to the smallest of towns scattered all across the state. Uh, and so uh, having more of those uh, uh, candidates with, uh, with that sort of connection to the community is critically important for us uh, in the future. And we saw that with, with the state Senate races as well, that uh, um, you know, the, the incumbents all lost to uh, people if they had been defeated just the time before. Uh, for three of them uh, that were running, you know, that were running were, were uh, first-time candidates. Uh, four of them uh, were first-time candidates or first-time office holders. And so there hadn't been that name recognition buildup. And so uh, working on that is clearly critically important for all freshman legislators. We're going to have to do a much better job and make sure the community understands what they're doing uh, in Concord for them. Uh, in the in the in the bow race uh, that Muriel Hall won, were was there a lot of action from outside outside sources, so to speak? Um, uh, did the Republicans deploy national strategy to uh, to 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 try to beat back the popularity of uh, a longtime teacher and resident? Um, somewhere between three. 30 to $50,000 were spent by some national organizations that we've never even heard of before. Uh, they sent organizers to actually go to be paid to knock on doors from Washington uh, that were uh, contributed as in-kind uh, donations. You know, we're really not sure what kind of uh, an organization that is, uh, but clearly it, it um, uh, was not successful uh, having, uh, having Muriel out there knocking on the door herself uh, and her neighbors as well. I mean, $50,000 from outside groups for a job that pays $100 a year is is kind of mind boggling. Um, but it shows how serious at the national level uh, the Republican Party is to try to uh, to try to infect local politics at every level. And, you know, the, the flip side is, well, that there's $50,000 that they don't have to uh, use on somebody else. So uh, getting them to spend their money uh, in special elections uh, before the election 22 is just fine with me. Yeah. Um, what about uh, some uh, other special elections that are coming up? Um, where, where are they and what, what are the races look like? Uh, well, we have, uh, due to the passing of the legislature from Bedford, uh, we have a special election in the town of Bedford, uh, a very Republican town. Uh, that uh, only recently started to uh, get either close to voting for Democrats every once in a while, and um, in a rare occasion actually votes for Democrats. We do have a state representative, Sue Mullen, another situation very similar to 
um, uh, to Muriel Halls, a uh, public school teacher for many years, uh, was able to raise uh, money, get out there, knock on doors, and had a lot of community support. So not only she was she elected in 18, but she was re-elected re in 2020 in one of the most difficult districts is, uh, in the state. I, I think it's uh, like the 10th most Republican state state rep district. So it's not gonna be easy, uh, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to it. We hope that uh, uh, we're able to uh, find a good candidate that has that sort of connection to the community. Um, I don't know if there's gonna be a special election that hasn't been called yet by the, the town, but um, our former house majority leader, Doug Lay, former president or was the president of the uh, of AFT, the American Federation of Teachers here in Russia just passed last week. Um, Assumably, there'll be a special election. Uh, that's in a, a pretty decidedly uh, democratic area. Uh, so that that race will be uh, interesting as well. Um, I believe those are the only two House vacancies right at this minute. You know, the Bedford, the Bedford race uh, is interesting to me, in part because um, I was good friends uh, with Dave Danielson. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what a, a wonderful, what a wonderful man. Uh, he was devoted to the arts. He actually joined the board of arts for NH um, uh, and was a, was a guy who spoke with just passion, enthusiasm, and glee about the importance of the arts and his participation in it. And he struck me as an example of an old fashioned Republican. Um, and you and saw that with the comments, uh, with his passing, uh, there were five to one Democrats uh, tweeting or posting out uh, uh, positive memorial things about uh, Representative Danielson versus the Republicans. Um, I, I was really stunned by that, that, that uh, this, these, these radical uh, extremists that have taken over the Republican Party can't even bring themselves to be decent uh, in, in someone's passing. Uh, that, yeah. that was real telling. Uh, I noticed it after a couple of days and I started watching and looking for it. And it was really uh, just remarkable. New Hampshire Democratic Party Chairman Ray Buckley, who was with us in our first segment, and he's joined in this segment by longtime Democratic activist John Bressler of Bow, New Hampshire. John is the past chair of the Merrimack County Democratic Committee, the Bow Town Democratic Committee, and has served for 18 long and productive years on the executive committee of the New Hampshire Democratic Party. Gentlemen, I'm, I'm glad to have you both back. In the first segment, we uh, talked a little bit about some of the landscape in New Hampshire. Um, we talked about the fact that it looks like that there is a national Republican effort to move into states to make sure that the radical right-wing agenda is active, and it certainly has has hit New Hampshire. One of the things I wanted to talk about, Mr. Chairman, is, is what's going on with voting uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, it, at the federal level, of course, we are hoping, we are working, we are pushing, we are nudging H.R. Uh, 1, SB 1, the For the People Act, um, in, uh, now in the Senate with uncertain fate awaiting it, trying to deal with expanding or solidifying the right of the people to vote, because in a democracy, the right of the people to vote and making it easy for people to vote 
seems to be see it seems that that ought to go hand in hand that if you have a democracy uh, where it's one person one vote you want to make sure people can vote and that's what uh, at the federal level hr1 sb1 uh, do the reaction in new hampshire has not been very kind it seems to the um, desire at the federal level to solidify the right of people to vote what's 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 going on and what are the what what and what's the governor gonna do oh uh, he he will uh, definitely sign any anti-voter legislation that that uh, hits uh, his desk he's done that from the get-go uh, despite his promising over and over that he would never do uh, such a thing Look, at th this entire effort was uh, aimed at uh, Senator Hassan uh, because the Republicans knew that they had to peel off one Democrat to try to stop that. Uh, they came up with a ludicrous lie uh, that it somehow had an impact on the New Hampshire First the Nation primary. Absolutely bull. Uh, there's absolutely no connection with the, the calendar of the presidential nominating process uh, with HR1. Uh, this is an anti-corruption uh, this, this is voter protection for people across the country. The people know that, they're, that they'll be able to vote, that their votes will be counted correctly, and that they, uh, at the end of the day, will be uh, with, you know, uh, upheld. Uh, that uh, the Republicans are in a frenzy. They realize that they're so far off the edge of the lunacy of Trump, uh, which they continue to embrace, uh, that they've lost the majority of the people. So what they've got to do is through either gerrymandering or, or rigging elections by trying to stop people from voting. Uh, there's going to be very little impact uh, in New Hampshire uh, by HR1 uh, if, if it was standalone. But what the Republicans did, and we were talking earlier about how just crazy they've become, they passed a piece of legislation that would presumably uh, Kristen Nunn will sign that will have cause for two elections, two checklists. Because you'll be able to vote to register in the federal election if, if HR1 passes using the, you know, th this level of, of uh, rationale for being able to register, that state will be a different. So you could you could be going in on election day and just being given just a federal ballot and not a state ballot. So there'll be two ballots. Uh, they'll be separated. This is just complete nuts. The amount of effort, the work. Uh, that is going to cause on the local election officials who are volunteers uh, to be able to do this is it, just outrageous. Well, it, it is, uh, you know, showing up the ID. So if you take a, a state ballot, you've got to show your ID. If you take the federal ballot, you don't. If you, you know, on and on and on, all of this sort of stuff that they've used to try to block uh, low income or people of color um, uh, youth uh, from being able to vote. It's just uh, completely mind-blowing uh, that they are doing it and they're only doing it to keep it alive, to keep the pressure, uh, thinking that uh, it's somehow going to influence Senator Hassan. Well, Senator Hassan, as you know, is going to be very strong in support of voting rights, and she's going to, uh, to vote uh, to make sure that uh, everyone gets to vote uh, and that they're voted, uh, they're counted correctly. Um, and the other, you know, things about money and politics, it goes into a lot of different issues. Uh, on the federal level that is absolutely necessary as we try to have clean elections. Uh, but this is entirely a game, a cynical game, to try to wedge the election uh, to try to cause uh, Senator Hassan to, to vote uh, with the Republicans. So uh, you are talking about Senate Bill 89, which essentially creates a very costly and confusing two-tiered election 
process or separating the New Hampshire state process from the federal process in the event that H.R. 1 um, is passed and all it does is create, it's just going to create a mess instead of clarifying anything. It certainly does nothing to to protect the right to vote in New Hampshire. It certainly does nothing to protect election integrity in New Hampshire. Um, I'm when when he was asked about it at a recent press conference, all the governor did was start talking about the federal legislation, H.R. 1, um, saying that it was forcing the states to take defensive measures. I, it, it's beyond me to understand how a bill which simply creates some basis for a voter protect, national voter protection somehow requires states to take uh, defensive measures um, and why splitting an election into two different systems uh, somehow protects voting. I, I, I don't get it. Uh, and I, he certainly hasn't been able to explain it to anybody's anybody's satisfaction. And as you say, how it how it possibly has anything to do with the Senate U.S. upcoming U.S. Senate election for Maggie Hassan is absolutely beyond me, except for the fact that if the governor, current governor, Chris Sununu, who seems all but certain to be headed for a run for the U.S. Senate against Maggie Hassan can tout his credentials as upholding the vaunted New Hampshire electoral process against the big bad uh, folks from Washington, D.C., who are trying to destroy New Hampshire. I mean, do I have that right? You do. It's well, just... you know, Paul, the logic of claiming that the election uh, is unfair and not properly counted, but only certain races on that ballot and not all the races completely lost in the kind of pretzel logic of Republicans makes no sense whatsoever. So if you start there, nothing else is gonna make sense. There you go. Well. Uh Chairman, I know you've got to go uh, shortly. Uh, I did just want to highlight one other important piece of legislation that illustrates just um, how vital uh, Republican control uh, in legislature in this in our New Hampshire legislature is, and 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 why it's uh, why it's got to go. And that has to be when the life hands you lemons make lemonade. Bill that uh, recently there was. Uh, a lot of discussion in the New Hampshire legislature about what age people ought to be allowed to sell lemonade and where they can sell the lemonade. And uh, Tom Dolan, a Londonderry Republican, thought there was a real problem because of lemonade closure stands. And uh, I, what am, am I, is this just the routine these days, somewhere between protecting or, or, or suppressing the right to vote, um, all the way up to uh, making it more likely we're going to have gun crime in New Hampshire, and now we're dealing with lemonade. Oh, and that lemonade bill, which was interesting, it has the 14, uh, it's for 
14 and under. So uh, suddenly when you turn 15, if you're in the middle of summer, you've got to go get a permit. Um, it's just, it, the whole thing is, is quite uh, uh, ludicrous. Uh, I've never, I haven't heard of uh, kids lemonade stands on the, one of their houses being uh, uh, shut down across the state, but the Republicans look at these cookie cutter issues across the country and they just grab and pick them. Uh, you know, the critical race theory issue is a perfect example of that. That's something that just kind of like, came out of nowhere uh, and suddenly every single Republican legislator across the country is talking about it. Uh, and you see that with gun issues, with abortion issues and uh, voting rights issues and all of that they have these um, cookie cutter uh, bills. And uh, what has always been mind blowing is how many of these uh, fools uh, in the New Hampshire Republican legislature that uh, just takes the, the sample legislation from another state and demands that legislative services craft it into a, uh, a, a bill identical. So it often has passages that have no relevance to New Hampshire law or connection to it, but they wanted the exact same language because, but you know, with the legislative, you know, the people that write the bills actually have to do what the legislator wants them to do. So even if it makes no sense, um, and it's it has happened multiple times, it's crazy. Before I do go, um, I, um, I'm going to ask you, Paul, to join me in this effort. Um, you know, John uh, has a, a great career and he's done remarkable stuff throughout his life. But he's really not the most fascinating person in his family by far. Uh, it really was his mom. Uh, and, you know, he has from time to time over the last uh, couple decades uh, put in stories about uh, her uh, being with just about every prominent person uh, mid-century. Uh, and uh, I think it would be a shame if he didn't take the time to sit in front of a computer and write that out. Uh, and even if it's not a New York Times bestseller, I think it's important that we record history uh, and that, that there are things that should be passed out that people get to know. I've done a lot of work in my own you know, ancestry. Uh, and there's I have millions of questions about so many of these people and I have no reference to something like that. And so a hundred years from now or 200 years from now when someone's doing their ancestry um, and they want to look, look up, oh, you know, John Brosser, his mother, his mom, and online they'll be able to find, you know, such a document. I think that would be uh, a big service. I, I want to say, and I'll tell you, the earliest memories are door knocking with my mother. And um, I didn't know they had doors back then, John. Just, yeah. I thought they were just, you know, <laughs> lion skins in front of the cave door. Tom Dodd, 1956, I believe. But mm -hmm. Raymond, I want to say before you go, uh, the story of Bo New Hampshire is kind of illustrative of the New Hampshire Democratic Party over the last 25 years. Um, if we go back, say, to 1998, Steve... Uh, yeah, Steve Stefano came within five votes of being a state senator, and it was until Scott McGilvery got elected in 2017. Mm -hmm. Now, now we have a Democratic state senator who wins by a thousand votes, uh, and I lost to Mike Wally in 2000, who at that time seemed like a crazy Republican, <laughs> like a nice neighbor. But I lost to him by roughly the same margin that um, Muriel Hall won. 
And that's really the change. It was about 1900 to 1300. So you have to move at least 300 votes. I guess my question is, we want a special election, but what will the legislature do between now and next year so that Muriel, when she runs for re-election, has that same strong turnout? Well, you know, John and Ray, I know that Ray has to go. So we're going to leave the question hanging. We're going to have to have Ray back uh, before too long to answer the question. I'll keep on with John. Chairman Buckley, thank you so much for joining us on Capital Close-Up. We're looking forward to having you back soon. Great to be with both of you. Have a great Bye-bye. Time. So, Mr. Bressler, here we Bye, are. Paul. So that was some of the history for uh, of, of of what's gone on in Bow, New Hampshire. I'm I'm particularly interested uh, in the special election that Muriel Hall won. Um, she's a she's a wonderful person. She's a longtime teacher uh, in the schools, uh, active, I believe, in uh, union activities, uh, loved in the community. Um, and uh, I talked to her the other day. I, I'd hoped she'd come on the show, but she was beat. She was she was just exhausted. She needed some time to recover after the effort, uh, which uh, was really a hands-on ground game uh, effort. It wasn't one of these huge financed from outside efforts that that she ran. And in Bow, New Hampshire, where there is a five point Republican uh, registration or voting majority. And so on paper, it looks like it ought to be a Republican district by about five points. Muriel beat back an effort where outside groups invested uh, about fifty thousand dollars in in various in in hiring organizers in advertising in doing everything they could fifty thousand dollars invested in Bow New Hampshire to try to win a New Hampshire House seat where the winner gets paid a hundred dollars a year. Um, what do you think? I mean, how did Muriel win? Uh, why did she win? And what do you think it portends, if anything, for Democrats in the state of New Hampshire going forward? What are the lessons learned? Well, there are a number of questions. Um, I would start by saying this was a Democratic seat. Uh, Democrats in Bow organized last fall's election, won the seat, and uh, lady had to move. So it wasn't a question of whether or not a Democrat could win the seat based on the registration because uh, non-affiliated voters, unaffiliated voters far outnumber either party. Um, and that's, so a, that, that's by the way, a national trend where independents or unaffiliated voters are ba basically saying to the parties, a pox on both your houses. This has been, uh, an issue in Bow going back as far as over 20 years, uh, where during the primary between Al Gore and Bill Bradley, one of the issues that poll watchers were looking at, at on primary day was which ballot independent voters were taking. And mm -hmm. they 
by far, you know, took the Democratic ballot to vote for Gore. Um, the independent voters tend to be moderate. They tend to rubber band. But the story in Bo is, is one where Gene Shaheen and Bill Clinton won here, uh, but Dick Sweat lost in 1996. So it tends to be moderate um, and swings around a little, but the Democrats have won the presidential pretty regularly here and Gene Shaheen has won pretty regularly here. What, uh, what we saw with the independent voters was until John Lynch became governor, many of the independent voters were state employees who did not want to be recognized as voting democratic. Mm -hmm. So they, they kept their independent status. When but I, when, by the way, when I, was Lynch, I, when I was a state employee and working at the attorney general's office, I was also registered as an independent. Yeah, and Governor Lynch basically made being a Democrat okay because he was so bipartisan. He ran on it. He said, I will listen to both sides. And in fact, he basically angered the left wing of the Democratic Party and the right wing of the Republican Party by being open to pretty much any good moderate solutions from any corner. Boy, that seems pretty uh, anachronistic these days with the tribal warfare and the crazy talk going on. Well, you know, it, it is played out nationally where uh, President Biden is very much a similar type of uh, politician. Yep. And uh, many people are attacking, saying it's facetious. It's stupid to try to find comedy with the other side. Um Emotionally, I understand that, but intellectually, I don't. I see Jean Shaheen and how hard she works to actually find issues that she can get support with Republicans and Democrats. Do so you think it's possible? Do you think that the that the Muriel Hall uh, win in this special election? Well, this special has election, has has any does it have any significance for a greater significance for Democrats looking at twenty twenty two? I think the significance is a good candidate is hugely important. Money and support are great, but the candidate worked. And she, she got on the ball. I remember I, I am a, a supplier of campaign material. So I happened to talk to her early in the race. She was a little shocked. The day after she registered, she went into uh, get her domain name and she found out her name had been taken and when you clicked on it it went to a fundraiser for her Republican opponent and that's when her eyes were opened to the nature of partisan politics in New Hampshire. Um, there was a lot of door knocking, there was a lot of phone calling, there were certainly um, signs out there but when we saw in the primary in April that Muriel outpolled her Republican opponents combined, it looked pretty good. When you add to that the union support, the non-governmental organizations, uh, Muriel's long time in the community, she taught all our kids and Bo loves teachers. And one of the first things that attracted us to Bo over 25 years ago 
is that uh, they built a high school in 1997. And even with the Republican uh, uh, voters in town, they support education. We've been talking with John Bressler. We also had Ray Buckley on the show talking about voting and democratic politics in New Hampshire. This is Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes on WKXL. Our podcast can be found at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with another Capital Close-Up.